everybody. Welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. When uh, Glenn reached out to me or when I was thinking about this transition with justice and leaving on Thursday, uh, I started to think about what to speak on. And this was like Tuesday night. So it brought me back to being a pastor where you have to craft a sermon every week or two or three sermons sometimes. And so it was a little challenging. So I appreciated this animated story to give us a context to help me a little bit, help you a little bit to understand kind of where this idea or thought or sermon will take place, the setting, contextually. Because there are a lot of times, I think, for most of us or most of us in the room here, our study and understanding of the scriptures, we appreciate the stories, but at times... To truly understand a text in the scriptures, you have to understand the context. It is absolutely essential in Bible understanding. Because it's so easy for us to take verses and use verses in such a way and then apply them in such a way, but to truly understand the nature and the fullness of that, we need to understand the context. So for instance, let me give you an example. One of the verses in this section that we're going to study happens to be our, my wife and I, our, 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 our verse for life together. It's Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for you to prosper, not to harm you, plans for hope in the future. And it's a very common verse, and most of us here probably at some point in our lives would have memorized that verse. What's interesting about that particular verse is some, for most of us here, we don't understand its context. And the context is incredibly powerful to truly understand the verse itself. You see, God is in the details. Let me say that one more time. God is in the details. He's in the details of your life, And he's in the details of the scriptures. And so when we see or memorize or think about these verses at times, if we don't get into the details, we lose or miss a little bit of the fullness of what God has for us. This summer, the theme was my story. And so everyone's caught up every Sunday and talked about their story. I want to make, I'm going to create a little bit of an exception. And I know for some of you, it'll be presumptuous. So I want you to just kind of sit there and just rest a little bit and think through this. I don't want to talk about my story. I want to talk about our story. And I know what some of you are thinking. Well, you don't know my story, Rocky. That's presumptuous of you. My story is my truth. You don't know my truth. You don't know my story. 
Well, let me say this to you. Our story, humanity's story, is we're all in exile. And for some of you, you may not even know it. You see, exile is common to us all. The story of exile is being in a place where you do not want to be. That's exile. In our world today, years ago, when I used to speak at universities and campuses and things like that, things were happening in the 90s, the sense of relativism. What's right for you is right for you, but it may not be right for me. And there was alarmist thinking back then, because if you took that thought and brought it to its logical conclusion... All of a sudden, you would get into a system or a world that rejects all sense of thinking, and everything then all of a sudden becomes this movement towards political correctness, autonomy, and narcissism, fundamentally. And here we are. Because let me propose to you this. If you in today's culture say that you believe in God, what do people call you? anti-intellectual. If you, today's culture, say that you believe in the biblical God or Jesus uniquely, what do they call you? You know. They call you a radical, a radical extremist at best. You see, we're in exile. We're in a place where we don't want to be. It's our story. It's a consistent theme for all of humanity. Why? Because way back in Genesis, we were moved east of Eden. Something happened in the story in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned and were separated and exiled out of the garden. The implications of that choice have faced and have filtered in humanity for the last centuries, thousands and thousands of years. And we all have experienced this and are experiencing it now, regardless if you're in Canada, in Ontario, in Newmarket, and around the world. I see this. I mean, I was in Peru in December at the fall in, during the fall in, uh, in Peru, and I, saw, and I know of the exodus of the Venezuelan peoples who were in exile. I was in West Africa and watched an experience in Zambia where you get a displaced people because of tribal uh, uh, control get displaced from their land. Our work that we do in the Ukraine, and you've watched images of people being displaced because of the conflict in the Ukraine, or Myanmar, or Syria. And we think the exile is only about what happens out in the world, and yet, for some of us here, we don't understand that we are already in exile. 
Humanity is in exile because we are in a place where we weren't designed to fully be. With a purpose we weren't originally designed to be. We were designed to live in community in the garden with God. Fundamentally, all humanity as a result of that are displaced. And what's interesting is regardless of where you sit, as you start to deeply consider this, there is one text in the scriptures that I think outlines for all of us this true sense of the prescription of what do you do when you're in exile? How do you live? How do you understand the power that can occur? Because Jeremiah 29, 11 said, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for you to prosper, not to harm you, plans for a hope in the future. So what does it mean? If you say today you believe in God, publicly, you will face a social distancing at best. For some of you, you could lose your jobs. Some of you business owners, you could lose your company. See, when we understand this context of what does it mean fundamentally to be in exile, it's not just the anti-intellectualism, it's not being called a radical extremist, it actually ex becomes extremely personal in the context that we live. So let me read this text to you. Follow along with me. And again, I want you to look at the details. Because the details tell us everything. Chapter uh, uh, 29, verse 1. This is the text of the letter that the prophets, the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after uh, King Je Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials, the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elash, son of Zaphon, to Jeremiah, son of Hilkai, with Zedekiah, king of Judah, uh, Judah sent to King ne Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, and it said... This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I, I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters into marriage so that they, may, they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in numbers. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city. 
to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty has said to the God of Israel. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed from, for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back into this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in the future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. It will be, I will be, I will be, see, we're all in exile. But to understand this text, you need to understand the journey of the children of Israel. It's been 900 years was a promise that was given to the children of Israel to go to the promised land. They get to the promised land, and for 490 years, they reject God. Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah, the prophets, speak against, in this 490-year period, against the people. Isaiah, 100 years earlier, saying to the people, God has been long-suffering with you. Your idolatry, your mis uh, care for the poor, your lack of stewardship for the land. And if you choose not to do so, you will be brought into exile, Isaiah said. Ezekiel gets a little clearer. He's saying, your idolatry and your religion is just a form of externals. Your heart is not into it. You are far from the Lord. And then Jeremiah, for over 40 years, in five kings in the south of Judah, and you have the northern tribes, which have already, by the time this occurred, are already in exile. The northern kingdom. And now in the southern kingdom, Jeremiah comes in for 40 years, preaches to five kings who were worse, one after another after another. Telling them to repent. And for 490 years, he tells this story. They call him the weeping prophet. And if you read Jeremiah and you read Lamentations, incredibly powerful stories to a man who said the same thing to the same people who didn't hear. And wouldn't listen. Up against five kings. Who rejected and rejected. What he had to say. And the power of what is being spoken here. And the idea of what he's saying to the. To the, to the, the, the those that are in exile. Is incredibly important. As it is to us today. Why? For some of you who may not know this, as a result of what happened in the garden and humanity being ex exiled out of the garden, put in a place where they weren't designed to be, a God-shaped hole is in the heart of all humanity. And we spend our time trying to fill that hole with everything but God. All humanity. This is a story about all humanity. What do we do? Well, some of us, as was even highlighted earlier, said, yeah, you know what it is? I'm going to replace it in money, power, 
education, in our families, in our kids. Some of us, it's hedonism. And we do all that we can to fill this, but somehow, some way, it's never enough and we can't be fully satisfied. And for some here who may not know that, you have lived within this and now maybe for the first time I'm identifying something that's been happening in your life. Only something that God can fill. But in turn, there are those of us who at some point in our life had recognized that there was this hole that only God could fill and the responsibility that we had in the light of that was what? Understanding the gift of the Prince of Peace to come into our lives to make us whole. To bring us back to a relationship with God. Now what's interesting about that for most of us here, what does he say when you have become a part of the family of God? You are in a right relationship with God. You are a a child of the kingdom. Is the kingdom of this earth? No. You are a stranger in this land. You are in exile in this land. Because the land's ideology and philosophies and and presuppositions and worldview is not yours. And you already know it to be true. You know it. You know you're not of this world, and you see what's going around you, and you're going, I'm a stranger in my nation. I feel like I'm in exile. Why? Because we're not fully brought back to where God wants us to be. Yet we are been given what? A promise that that would be so. Now, as I tell you this, do you start to understand Jeremiah 29? Do you see why it's our story? Whether or not you're someone who doesn't know God, or whether you're someone who has known God, but feel like you're a stranger and in exile in our nation, and maybe in the world. Why? Because we're told... What are we told? We're told that we're ambassadors to this world. Now, to understand the power of this and why this is critically important, two things occurred here in this text in verse 1 to 4. And it still occurs today. And so, as I said, to understand the text, you have to understand the context. You need to understand what was happening and what is the way that Babylon and and Nebuchadnezzar, how they grew their land and their wealth. And it's seen here in the first four verses. Most kingdoms in the past gained wealth through intimidation and violence, but not here. Nebuchadnezzar's philosophy, for the most part, although he used intimidation and violence, and and you'll see about that, most of the time what they would do is they would lay siege 
to cities. And they would take from the city all the leaders. Leaders, kings, builders, everything that you've seen in the first four verses of chapter 29. And they would bring them into the land. And they would want them into the land and separate them from the people. And what they would do is they would tempt them with a concept of wanting to be, what we would say, wanting them to be compliant or conform. They lay siege to, to Judah three times. In 606 BC, that's where Daniel was taken. And what happened to Daniel? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego were brought where? They were brought into Babylon. And they were given roles and responsibilities of business leaders. What then were they given? Babylonian names. What were they asked to do? Comply. It's the temptation of compliance. And that's how Babylon grew their kingdom, was getting people to comply. Because once you comply in the ideology, in the society, in the culture, once you choose to do that, what it fundamentally does, it draws you away from your fundamental understanding of who you are by identity, by what you believe, and how you live. Compliance. Three times Nebuchadnezzar. 606, 597, 587, where he fundamentally finally destroys the temple. Pulling the people out, pulling them into exile, the leaders. Moving towards this sense of compliance. And when you choose fundamentally to take it to its logical conclusion, what occurs? What's my incentive? Great job? Wealth? Power? What do you lose? Your identity? Your belief? Your sense of faith? your sense of purpose and meaning in the completion of what it is to be a follower and a child of God. Sound familiar? <laughs> Sound familiar? See, when I said this is our story, all of us here are tempted to comply. You're tempted to comply in your business, whether you're a child on the street whether you're a high school student, a university student, your employer or employee, we are tempted to comply. And what was happening here in Babylon, and this is what I know you're thinking, well, there's no way it's like what we're doing. Are you serious? Babylonia, Babylonia was one of the largest cities in this place. 200,000 people. It was the heartbed of the belief system. And so when that group was brought in, the whole idea and intention was to cause compliance. And they grew their kingdom strictly to do so. 
and you would see this continual drift. And so when Jeremiah says this, he says, be wise, be mindful. You have to understand what was happening in compliance in the context to truly understand this verse. But there's a second temptation. And this is the one we're most common to those of us who have grown up in the church and have lived in the church. Because in Jeremiah chapter 28, something happens. It's highlighted in the verse, but something happens in 28. What happened was a false prophet, Hedekiah, came around and said what? Hey, people, don't worry. Don't worry. Guess what's going to happen? God's going to break Nebuchadnezzar, if you look in the middle of 28. He's going to break Nebuchadnezzar. Don't worry. In two years, we're going to be back to the promised land. Was the false teaching. And that's the temptation to retreat. It's the temptation of Christians to gather in the holy huddle. Christian church, Christian school, Christian family, Christian friends. And do you know the adage in the holy huddle? The adage in the holy huddle is what? Have you heard about this? When Christians gather together, it's kind of like manure. When you pile them all together, guess what happens? They stink up the place. But when you spread them out into the world, it brings life and vitality. You see, this is what Jeremiah was talking about. You see, the temptation for us is to run to retreat. And Hezekiah was telling that to the people. And we see it in the verses here, and these two temptations run for all of us that are sitting here. This concept or this idea that we have to remove ourselves from this culture because what? We're strangers in a strange land. But now as you start to think through this, do you see the power the antithetical, the, the, this power of what Jeremiah was saying to the people in verse 4 and onward was incredibly important. It is the prescription to thrive in exile. How you address this idea of compliance and conformity and how you run from the risk or the temptation of retreating. Because these are not my words, nor are they Jeremiah's. Did you see that? <laughs> what did it say? So there's no argument. This is what the Lord Almighty says. And he says it four or four, five times, just so that we're clear. This is what the Lord Almighty says to those that are in exile. This is what you need to do. This is how you thrive in exile. And he lays out six things. And here they are. First is, be present. Build homes and settle down. Be present. And now what some of you are saying, I can't get a home. I'm, it's crazy here in Toronto. That's not the point. See, presently, when he wrote this letter, they were three miles from Babylon in the Kadar Valley. They had listened to Hezekiah and they moved out of the city. And so when he says, no, no, go and build homes, go and build homes 
then when you understand settling down, it's come back into the city and represent me. Be my people. And so when we understand that, we have to be present in our world. We're strangers. We're in exile. But we're ambassadors for the king. He then goes on to say, be productive. Plant gardens. And eat what you produce. Start a business. Be involved in your your company. Become active as your people. Be responsible. This idea of, of us to be purposeful in what we do. Marry and have children. He said, don't come at it at par. Don't decrease, increase. Why is that so important? Because in 526, after 70 years, so just to give you a history, 490, 490 years they lived. They didn't manage the land the way they should because every seven years, what had to happen? They had to rest, and they didn't rest. So what did God say? I'm going to hold you to it. You're going to be captive for 70 years. In the captivity of the 70 years, he said, this is what you need to do. You're going to have to live here, and you're going to understand that where I put you, I'm going to plant you, and you have to bloom. Although you're exiles, you need to be my people in this place. And so he honors that to the people. He says, I need you to be peacemakers. Seek peace and prosperity. The interesting thing is the Hebrew word for peace, shalom. A lot of you may have known this, and it's, we throw it around in the Christian church all the time. One of the meanings of peace or shalom, we think it's only interpreted as the absence of conflict, and that's actually not true. The Hebrew Jewish meaning means wholeness or complete. Who's the prince of peace? What did Jesus do? He came to make us complete, to bring us back to the whole. And so when he commands us to go into the world to be the shalom or the peace, it's for us to be into the world to make it whole, to act as ambassadors for Christ, reconciling people not to be tempted to to run and not to be contempted to conform, but it is to bring the peace or the shalom or the wholeness of God into the place in which we live. Not huddle, but to be out into the world as ambassadors. Be prayerful. And this is so practical. Pray for the prosperity of the city to which you live. Because what did God say? He said, if you pray for the prosperity of where you live, you will also be prosperous. Do we pray for the prosperity of our city? And lastly, do not be prepared. Do not, under any condition, as the scriptures say, do not listen to the prophets or the false prophets that you encourage to dream dreams. Those, of, those who take the gospel and what it is to be a Christian and water it down in the context of our culture, those who tell you to run away and be separate from the world and not be an ambassador, 
not understanding the power of what God has called you to do. Lastly, let me say this to close. In 10 to 14, it actually tells us the promise. It helps us understand what God's called us to do. It is the answer on how to thrive. If you choose to do this, he's saying to the people, if you choose to do this under 70 years, promise of restoration is this. It's going to come. In 70 years, I'm going to come and restore you. I'm going to gather you. I'm going to gather my people, and I'm going to bring you home. Do we have that same promise? We do. We have that same promise. He says, I have plans for you. Plans for you to prosper and not to harm you. Plans for hope in the future. He gives us that out. He says, restoration come. Here's my master plan. And then he says, when you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. He's no, what does it say? I will find you. I will find you. Think about that. You think in your difficult situation at work where all of a sudden you are tempted to all of a sudden shift in your thinking to concede or conform to the world standard. He finds you there. Do you think that we gather here on Sunday only that we have to have Christian home, Christian church, Christian school, Christian friends, Christian all these other things, and yet there's a world outside of us who know that we know they're in exile to this world. And those of us who are Christians are called to be ambassadors to that world so that we live and demonstrate our faith and bring peace, our shalom, our wholeness to the world as ambassadors for Christ. This is what the scriptures say. It is an unbelievable prescription to thrive. Is it not? I, I thought maybe I'd at least get an amen to that. Really, think about this. What a prescription for us, today's world. What an absolute prescription for us when we feel like we are strangers in a strange land. Our story, right? It's our story. People of God. People of humanity. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you uh, for this privilege. Whatever of these words are not from you, strike them from our minds. But whatever words are from you, that you would bury them deep in our hearts, mine, I surrender to this, Lord. And I just pray that we would live this out with vitality and love for you and for others. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.